Wow. You're gonna like this. Oh, no, I'm not. Cause there is no goddamn middle. This is not unlike ancient Rome, by the way. Not so much the family circus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when, um, I did, when I did Mary Shelley, I had the same issue with necromancy. A lot of them yeah. wanted to create self-sustaining farms and got into crystals. I know. Okay. I understand that. And, but yeah, I'm reading Livy, uh, who is a shitty historian. Because eerie guy guys. Others say that because Laurentia's body was common to all the shepherds around, she was called a she-wolf, which is a Latin term for whore. You were audible last season. It just, most of it was you slamming the table. As, as <laughs> the, the Romanists at the table. Well, duh. Yeah. Obviously. Ipso facto. Right. You know, to engage in a little bit of Latin. You have a sword rat. This is a geek history of time. Where we connect nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history teacher uh, up here in Northern California. And uh, the father of a two and a half year old little boy. And uh, very recently I have uh, actually tip, dipped my toe uh, back into the waters of Warhammer 40K. I actually bought my first model in... Holy cow, close on two years now, maybe longer, um, and it just arrived in the mail yesterday, and 14-year-old me uh, was just a quiver with excitement, <laughs> so... Who are you, sir? I'm Damien Harmony. I am a Latin teacher up here in Northern California. I am the father of a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old. Uh, and I uh, just ordered um, shampoo. Which, okay. Adulthood's is awesome, isn't it? Like just, <laughs> yeah, this is fatherhood, man. Like, yeah. like my yeah. friends are like, yeah, I bought D&D yeah. &D Unlimited, and now I can play all the D&D &D I want online, and it works with this. And I'm like, I, I bought pistachios this week. Like, it's... Yeah. I splurge. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it just occurred to me that last year, literally around this time, within this week last year, uh, I babysat your little boy for, oh, good goodness, like six, eight hours, something like that, and had just the most it, fun. I'm sure it felt yeah. like that. Yeah. That long. Yeah. Well, because I remember the thing ran long, but like I had just the most yeah. fun with him and and I'd forgotten that I'm good with kids that little too, because mm -hmm. I just kind of keep growing with my kids, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it popped up in the social medias and I was and then when you said just now that he was only two and a half and I'm like, he was a one and a half year old when I played with him. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. Like I, I took him upstairs and gated him in and closed all the doors and threw things to him and he threw things down oh, yeah. at me and that was oh, a yeah. good two hours yeah. of play right there. Yeah, no, so. he did all all the all the photos and everything you sent me, I remember yeah. I was like, Well, okay, at least one part of this afternoon went well. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> Well, you know, I was teaching him just in case I know you guys are Scottish, but just in case uh, you know, you want to build a two state solution, I was teaching him how to do it one stone at a time. Oh, there you go. Yeah. There you go. So, I like that. That's yeah. good. That's good. Well, you know, he is half German, so one brick at a time. There you be, go. Yeah. No kidding. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, you know, I'm Irish, thing. so I'm teaching him how to hurl rocks, so it'll be good. Well, yeah. Should have had my Palestinian neighbor come over, yeah. too. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. 
Um, you know, what I uh, spent a lot of time with this week was drugs. Really? Well, not imbibing. I just, thought you were a straight edge, I, man. Well, you I, know, I, I was never you know. never straight edge. Like, I never subscribed to that because, number one, I don't really enjoy punk rock. And number two, okay. and number two I, I don't really like ascribing to any particular thing. Like, even when we drill down on uh, existentialism, and it's clear that that's like a good chunk of like my philosophy seems to that, mirror that. Makes that. Up that that's that's solidly 68, 70 yeah. something percent. And of I your, still like, I'm like, no, philosophy. that ain't me, you know, and, yeah. and same thing with straight edge. Like I, I've well, done just as many drugs as, as they have, but I don't ascribe to that philosophy. I'm like, no, that's, that's a really great. That's a really great way of phrasing that. I like that. I've yeah. done just as many drugs as, you know, teetotaling abstainers. Yes. So, you know, yeah, I, I've, I've, you know, yeah, no, I've, I've ridden just as many motorcycles as the Amish. It's yeah, the same kind go. of thing. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. Like, I like, Ooh, I like that. I like fuck. that. But, <laughs> well, you know, yeah. Um, so, so in, in any event, uh, hear, mm-hmm. hearing you say, uh, you know, drugs, uh, in that, in that context, uh, does kind of make anybody who knows you quirk an eyebrow. So what exactly yeah. were you doing? Well, you know how much I love Star Wars and how I've never done a Star Wars episode. This is true. I figured I would do a Star Wars episode about drugs. Death sticks? No, no. Uh, I don't no. need to tell you about death sticks. Uh, you don't need to tell me about death sticks. Yes, we can go about the podcast and then and then enjoy our lives. We can go about the podcast and then enjoy our life. Wait a minute, not even a goddamn job. True. Oh, no. Of the two of us, of the two of us, like yeah. I'm the religious fanatic. So wait, hold this is on. True. This is true. Yeah. So uh, no, I I uh, don't really even have a good title other than drug smuggling in sci-fi. So we're going to talk today about the 1970s and how that absolutely led to Han Solo. You know, we spend, you know, it's, it's funny for a couple of guys who weren't even born for, in my case, half the decade. And right. in your case, more than half the decade. We spend an awful lot of time talking about that shitty, shitty decade. It's really remarkable. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's either the 90s or the 70s every time for us. Most Seems times. to be. Yeah. Most, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. We, we occasionally dip a toe in the 50s to, mm-hmm. you know, talk about how much uh, Watergate, not Watergate. Um, uh, uh, the Cold War? Watergate was also the 70s. Uh, well, yeah, the Cold War, but I'm specifically thinking of have you no decency, sir, at the end. Oh, have McCarthyism. You no yeah. McCarthyism. Thank yeah. you. Um, I, I, I spent the day looking after my two, two year old all day. So <laughs> I, I apologize if I, if I have, you know, a toddler caretaker brain. But yeah, you know, we, we, we occasionally will spend a little time talking about, you know, the fifties and McCarthy mm-hmm. sucked, but usually seventies and nineties. Yeah. We've had a few, right. and uh, a few, uh, episodes now where we've both taken on the eighties as well. So, well, yeah, okay, yeah. that's true. But so yeah, you, you teach what you know kind of thing. Yeah. Well, no, yeah so, um, the DEA was created in July of 1973. Uh, It combined the Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs with the Office of Drug Abuse Law Enforcement with about 600 other agents from Customs, Customs Agency Services, etc. under one umbrella organization. Okay, let me let me stop you there. Sure. So so DEA Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. operates under DOJ, Department of Justice, correct? 
Drug Enforcement Agency. I think, yeah, is, I think, yeah, because they were they okay. report to the Attorney General. So yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, so now they're Department of Justice. The first of those groups that you mentioned, mm-hmm. the Bureau of Dangerous Narcotics. The Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs. Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs. Mm-hmm. Was that originally a DOJ bureau or was that part of like FDA? I actually want to say, and I might be wrong, but I think it was an offshoot of Treasury because Prohibition. Okay, that would yeah. make sense. Okay, so yeah. so in part, mm-hmm. I just I just as as part of the political context of all this, mm-hmm. this this does show. Like at its very outset, this shows a certain amount of growth mm-hmm. on the part of power of the Department of Justice. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Uh, okay. It was a bureau. I'm sorry. The Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs was uh, within the DOJ. Um, and it's it's basically okay. the – it's kind of like what the OSS was to the CIA. Um, okay. All so right. um, sure. it, it essentially – the DEA was the drug version of uh, Homeland Security. You know how they brought a bunch of things under this one umbrella to kind of streamline mm-hmm. it? That's yeah. that's essentially what the DEA did. And then its, uh, its head, um, it, it, he reported to the attorney general. Okay. Um, so and, – and just now the DEA has their own air force. They have their own special ops forces. And their current budget as of uh, this last year was over $2 billion. Okay. In 2018, they spent $74,000 of that, which is pittance, but they spent $74,000 to eradicate pot plants in Utah. Um, they found zero. Okay, so, well, you know. you know, lack of evidence is not evidence of lack. That's true, but it's also so, Utah. It's not like there's like <laughs> huge forests that you can hide shit in. Granted, granted, <laughs> this is true. Especially when they have um, an air force and like they have a history of using U two spy planes and drones and such. Oh yeah. So, um, you know, I I actually um, in in talking about you know. Um, Maybe not militarization of police in this context, but talking about the the oh we will <laughs> the encroachment of you know law enforcement powers over over everything in mm-hmm. the world mm-hmm. or in our world here in the states uh, since nine eleven. Um, my father mm-hmm. is a is a civil aviator. He's he has his own airplane. He flies cross country. Neat a lot. Uh, usually within the state of California, but mm-hmm. um, on on one particular occasion, he was making a trip. Um, it's a kind of a kind of a kind of a badge one earns uh, as a civil aviator to uh, make a make a landing and a t- take off and a landing in every one of the forty eight continental United States. Okay, contiguous United States. Sure. And then there's what's called the four corners, where you land at the northernmost, southernmost, westernmost, mm-hmm. easternmost airports in, again, the contiguous 48 states. And I don't remember which of those goals it was he was trying to get his ticket punched for, but he was on his way flying back cross country in Texas. Um, and as a small aircraft pilot, you know, you don't, you don't normally, you don't have to file an official flight plan okay. with anybody, generally speaking. Um, and he wound up, he, he came down 
uh, at some small field, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. He needed to get gas. Mm-hmm. Uh, landed, and shortly after he landed, uh, multiple black SUVs pulled up. <laughs> And without ever being told he was arrested, he was effectively detained there yep. for four hours yep. under threat of them taking away his pilot's license or seizing his airplane. Yeah. My father, I, it, I, I, I have to point this out, my father is and always has been, as long as he's been voting, he is a Republican voter. Mm-hmm. Like... Like, and, 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 you know, the joke about if you remember the sixties, you really weren't there. My father really wasn't there for the sixties. My dad was a naval officer. Right. Like of all the people in the world who you'd look at and be like, oh yeah, oh yeah, this guy. Oh yeah. yeah. We're going to, we're going to get into why they, yeah. why they detained him. Um, oh yeah. No, I'm sure. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm looking forward to it because, um, he, he still gets heated about it. And I still get heated about it because it's ridiculous. But anyway, continue. Carry yeah, on. Quite all right. Uh, so also in the 1970s, uh, American smugglers started trading U.S.-made weapons in Jamaica for pot. Uh, then Prime Minister Michael Manley's response was to shut down and uh, work nice and cozy with the American DEA to shut it all down. Uh, prior to that, you had plenty of pot coming up from Jamaica, but now that guns are starting to be used, you're seeing a lot more gun violence in Jamaica. Uh, and he, his response was to shut it all down. Uh, this meant letting the DEA set up their own radar station, uh, for the first time ever on foreign soil. And they start seizing yachts and sailboats that are filled to the brims with pot. Um, the anti-crime, anti-gun, anti-dope policies of Michael Manley took Jamaica from being a sleepy, perfectly fine island to a third world police state on several levels. The economy started crashing. And the real sad part is, is that he was a true Labor Party type of politician. He had all kinds of populist programs. He validated unions. He lowered the voting age to 18. He established land reforms. Some worked, some didn't. Um, He instituted subsidies for various farmers, uh, food programs, employment programs, literacy programs, all these things. But with the introduction of guns and his response to it, he ends up kind of backtreading a lot of the things that he'd set up. So in many ways, he's echoing what's going on a few years earlier with LBJ, who wanted these vast sweeping economic policies that were absolutely aimed at uh, fulfilling the promise of the New Deal. Um, And instead, he's part of a government that is just shutting down dissent left and right and bombing the hell out of brown people in another country. Okay, Uh so question. Mm -hmm. So, so... I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of looking at at chicken and egg here. Mm-hmm. So so American smugglers, yeah, introduced guns into this whole Jamaican equation. Yeah, large which numbers. Is, of which guns. is yes, l- large. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, large large volume of of American manufactured mm-hmm. firearms. Okay, and so that's that is that is that is the tipping point. Yeah. So, okay. which is a valid concern to have. Um, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, no, obviously, but you know, the 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 yeah, the the problem there is you know making a deal with the wrong four hundred pound gorilla to try to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. 
or or just like hey you need to control the guys at your borders so they don't bring guns into my borders you know that kind of thing but that's really hard yeah. to do when you're part of an island that used to be or that is still at that point i think part of the british commonwealth and very fragile economically in terms of just the the world bank and its predations and the fact that it's the 1970s so yeah. the economy is just shit anyway sucks yeah, so its economy sucked yeah so, so here's the question: When you say mm-hmm. that the economy went went in the in the toilet, mm-hmm. <laughs> so and and you talk about sailboats mm-hmm. full of marijuana being seized, do do we have any figures? Like, we, in in your research, did you find any figures on just how much of the Jamaican GDP was based on weed? No, actually, prior to that's, all of this happening. that's one of the ones I didn't look into. Um, I was looking at a whole bunch of other factors, and that one slipped past okay. me. So, because because yeah. you know you talk about you know land reform, I I, I have to chuckle. Mm-hmm. You're talking about land reform in the context of oh yeah, they're seizing all this weed, <laughs> like yeah, you know. So so they 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 didn't use national parks like we do here in the states. Like what right. you know. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, so, I mean, they they had a uh, large dairy industry. I know that they had a um, which was collapsing actually in a lot of ways. Um, a lot of their fruit started getting uh, subsidized, purchased, and and basically, you know, essentially they got Guatemalaed by the United States. Oh. Uh, yeah. Okay. So it's 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 kind of sad. The, there are two or three industries that really started kicking back up in the '90s in Jamaica. One was. Um, Piecework, uh, well, there are three. So there's piecework uh, for Tommy Hilfiger and other American companies like that. You had to pay okay. to work there, and then your <clears throat> you, what you paid would be, you know, you, you'd have to work that off, and then you'd make money. And it was, I mean, it was piecework. It was, it was awful. Um, and so a lot of American textile companies would would basically have them make their clothes there. Um, and it was terrible piecework. Uh, the other two things, one was, uh, private security, um, and, uh, coffins. So those industries really got a shot in the arm in the nineties. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, you know, they talk about, um, uh, the, the health of an ecosystem. Mm -hmm. One, one indicator that an ecosystem is unhealthy mm-hmm. is that all of the scavengers are doing really well. Yeah. So, so I've, I've used that bond mod to describe the success of the payday loan industry in our own country in the last, <laughs> you know, yeah. 15, 20 years. Uh-huh. I, I gotta say when, when private security and coffins mm-hmm. are the industries that are doing well, I, I kind of almost think that's worse. Yeah, it is. It is like, Jiminy Christmas. Yeah. So um, there were American smuggling rings that took advantage of 150 miles worth of bays, remote beaches, secret docking sites, tiny airstrips, all to fly out thousand pound loads of pot from Jamaica. Okay. In their small planes, usually, right? Uh, now, some of these rings were just groups of regular guys who decided that they wanted to put a little capital together, make some quick money. Um, and these guys were, you know, long-term, long-time friends from, from childhood working out of Long Island and Manhattan. 
And they're just, you know, they're like, hey, we can make some money off this. This seems like a good deal. Um, smuggling rings would smuggle in the early 1970s using uh, rented uh, Ford LTDs because those had the biggest trunks on the market. Um, and they would drive down to Florida, pick up as much pot as possible, and drive back up I-95. Um, eventually, they graduated to using the 26-foot-long Winnebago's. Um, uh, let's see. Um, they would uh, basically, those guys who are driving them up in the 1970s would get $5,000 per trip, which is good money. Um, I don't know that it's worth the risk money, but it's good money. I mean, that's uh, one-fifth of a house in Santa Barbara in the 19th, early 1970s. Yeah, that's, that's, that's big, yeah. big money Yeah, in, in, that, in that time period. That was a lot of cash. Yeah. So uh, to distribute in New York, they'd pick it up in Florida, drive it up the coast. Uh, one ring even started buying farms in South Carolina for airdrops. Um, fun fact, my, my family... Um, went uh, in the early 90s to uh, to start a farm and we didn't know we were going where we were going to land and we we drove up to North Carolina to look at farmland up there and the vibe that my parents reported getting was very similar to Mendocino County and they're like nope we're not gonna be here <laughs> and it's not because my parents are like against pot they're not but it was oh this is those dangerous suspicious pricks like what we saw yeah. in Mendocino so no yeah um so wow. they bought a farm in South Carolina not my parents these smugglers we ended up in uh Florida's taint um Bronson yeah so and feel free uh uh geek timers uh look up Bronson Florida it's the seat of Levy County uh and when I say Florida's taint you'll know exactly what I'm talking about um, but yeah, they would, they bought a farm in South Carolina for airdrops. And what they would do is they'd have all these pickup trucks at a certain time of night on that farm's property point North and shine their flashlight or shine their headlights. Therefore the, uh, the plane uh, flying overhead would see the landing zone. They'd kick the bale of uh, pot, the bales of pot out, uh, over the farm and keep on flying. Then those pickup trucks would load up the bales and then drive them to all the different points they want to get to. Um, usually going up north. Miami's construction boom actually owed a lot of its uh, its growth to the laundered money that would later come from cocaine smuggling. Um, and disco actually helped make that drug very popular both in Miami and New York as well. And those were the two big markets for cocaine. And we're talking between 3 to $7 billion was laundered and unreported in 1980 alone in Miami. Holy shit. Seriously? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, which is on. more than the current budget of the DEA. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, cause wow. you know, which, cause, cause one side is private enterprise and mm -hmm. the other side is government. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. Um, <laughs> like, come on. It raised as a Reaganite. I know. Yeah. yeah. Of course. Private enterprise is always going to make more money. But, mm -hmm. um, so, so, you, 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 there was a switch there because, mm -hmm. cause we started out, we started out, we were talking about pot. Yeah. And, and, and I am and then, going and to then, and go then back then and forth of, a little. Okay. Yeah. It, and in the middle of here, you switch to cocaine mm -hmm. and, and I'm, I'm kind of curious about where, 
because I mean, it would be, I assume it would be false to say there's some kind of a dividing line temporally between the two of them. But I, I do get the sense from, from just my own kind of perception of, of, you know, thinking about the, the portrayal of this kind of stuff in mm-hmm. the media mm-hmm. that, that there was, you know, this one period of time that was like, no, no, it's, it's like, it's, it's pot is, is the majority of the stuff. Right. Know, that we're that we're chasing after and then it does turn into and then cocaine is the majority of the stuff we're chasing after yeah am I am I right there yeah you are so there's a okay. lot of stuff that happens here um, in the 1970s is a period of flux and it's largely during Carter's presidency um, so and there's a move to decriminalize it and I'll talk about that in a little bit but essentially um, once Carter backs away from decriminalizing pot, a lot of the, not all, but a lot of the pot smugglers are like, well, I'm making plenty of money here, but I could make even more money here. And they start bringing in cocaine. And by the way, so do uh, so do the CIA. Uh, well, so <laughs> under, uh, well, un- under several people, uh, Bush being one of them. Um, and then you start to see cocaine really skyrocket. Um, profitability-wise with the war on drugs. I'm going to mostly focus on the pot because I think that is much more the culture that we're talking about when we talk about Han Solo, but I can't ignore the cocaine and the violence that came with it. And uh, actually, this very next thing. So there's a smuggler who spoke under... I didn't interview the guy. I I found the interview. But he, he stayed anonymous. He's speaking under pseudonym. So he started that small, making the $5,000 trips. Um, he said, quote, It was such an elitist feeling, very much about being the hipster outlaw and getting over on the system. And I want you to remember that very phrase, hipster outlaw getting over on the system, because it's going to play a lot later in this podcast. Um, it okay. also didn't hurt that this job that made you $5,000 per trip also came with the best recreational cocaine possible, hookers, hotels, jewelry, everything else. Like it was a good life. If that's a thing you like, you got to do it. You know, um, I'll find I'll find my own job. Yeah, with hookers. <laughs> yeah, you're not gonna you're not even gonna recognize me. And it's like, well, that's actually true, there, Jimmy. Um, <laughs> it reminds me actually of a pro wrestling um, uh, promoter who started uh, a a renegade uh, outfit, and he basically talked his way into a lot of success for a little while but then it all kind of fell flat he ended up dying in a hotel room um and the the um the one of the wrestlers said well you know he died doing what he loved cocaine and hookers (laughs) and it it was true how's how's that for an obituary right Like, like like that's your eulogy yeah oh it was great all right so but okay so back to this guy um yeah, he, yeah. he said that he and his associates actually did. They stayed away from um, they stayed away from uh, cocaine specifically. They stayed away from it um, because, quote, they felt they also felt that if they were caught, the public and the law wouldn't per- would perceive the crimes as something much uglier and serious. And they didn't want to be associated with that. So these guys stayed away from the harder stuff because they didn't like the idea of being seen as the bad guys. It's okay to be seen as a guy who skirts the law, just the good old boys, 
you know, mm-hmm. been in trouble with the law yeah. since the day they were born. I mean, you had literally you had the Dukes of Hazard on TV. Yeah, who who you were know. smugglers? Yeah. I mean, that's that's literally <laughs> that is that is that is where NASCAR comes from. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it's a hundred percent. You know that that kind of thing. Um, so uh, you know, they didn't mind the pot. They didn't think that would mess with their uh, with with their image. They did think though that cocaine would, and they also stayed away from the harder stuff because uh, they didn't. Uh, well, how to put this? Um, they liked making money and stepping outside the law to make money even better, but they still could think of themselves as good guys, right? It's just pot, but not everybody yeah. had those same compunctions. Um, and uh, there were uh, s- plenty of smugglers starting to fly into Cartagena. Um, and the pot smugglers, despite refusing to involve themselves in cocaine, weren't necessarily immune to the violence with their own organization as time wore on and as money got more important. And there were some who were like about the money. And so they started really getting into like, well, what's going to make us the most money? Um, and okay. what was what was interesting is that uh, this guy reported that um, they in New York, he would drive around all day long going to nine different banks to launder money. Um, and, and as a result, because they had so much money and, and a ton of money, like one, at one point they used cocaine specifically to stay awake for three days to count the money they had in a hotel room. And some of them were armed to the teeth with all these really nice guns, but they were totally untrained on how to use these guns. So (laughs) like, so, so, so what could possibly go wrong? Right. And we're talking okay. $7 million being counted that weekend. Like, it's making lots of... Pot is making plenty of money. Like, there are some people who are like, I do not need to dive into the cocaine thing. And then there were others who absolutely dove into the cocaine thing. Um, but those guys who were into the pot of it, a lot of them said, quote, these guys were not hardened criminals in any way, shape, or form. So they stayed away from the cocaine trade. Okay. So you're already seeing this dividing line between the different types of smugglers, right? Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So, so where, so nowadays, mm-hmm. like, like the, 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 the organizations that, that we now in 2020, 50 years later, mm-hmm. 40 plus years later, that we're seeing in the news are, I mean, like right now it's all dominated by cartels out of Mexico. Right. And before the Mexican cartels, it was Colombia. Yeah, the Medellin. You know, the Medellin. Mm-hmm. And so, so we're talking about these American smugglers. Mm-hmm. When, when did that shift in ownership happen? Uh, happens after uh, the growers get busted out pretty hard and it really happens after the first round of latifundia growers in humboldt county get busted out um and it happens roughly around 85 you really start to see it turn in a very different direction and because of that that's actually outside of the purview of of what this this podcast is specifically about Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 So in in Miami in the late 1970s and early 1980s, there was a lot of violence, like a lot of violence, Um, a lot. I I cannot emphasize um, how many died 
in Miami uh, in the 1970s, 80s. It was it was a lot. And the DEA was completely flat footed like they did not know how to deal with it. So they went ahead and set up a deal with the Treasury Department to take care of the money launders, as well as Dade County and Manhattan County agencies or not Manhattan County, Manhattan Borough agencies to try to take the big traffickers down. And the uh, with with some success, but really not much success, um, you end up seeing shows like Miami Vice come out on TV, which is specifically yeah. highlighting oh. these things. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So so to to give a, a little bit of of. I don't know if context is the right word, but, but mm-hmm. one of, one of the stories my, my father relates, mm-hmm. uh, cause he grew up in Coral Gables in, mm-hmm. in the, you know, fifties into sixties. Mm-hmm. And at some point in the 1970s, early eighties, mm-hmm. uh, he was visiting his folks in Coral Gables, which is south of downtown Miami. It's, okay. It's a, it's a, separate incorporated city, but it's essentially a suburb of, of Miami. Yeah. And, um, sitting in the living room of the home he grew up in, Mm -hmm. he heard a string of gunshots. Yeah. From, you know, a block away, Mm -hmm. less than a block away in, and, and I cannot stress enough. This was a Tony neighborhood. Yep. And, and, uh, he, he, he was not quite quick enough on the uptake, mm-hmm. uh, to, cause my, my grand, my, my grandmother said, Oh my goodness. I wonder what that was. My grandfather was very quick to say, oh, it was a, a car backfiring or something, right. something. Yeah. And my father was not quick enough on the uptake to recognize that my grandfather was lying. Right. And tried it and like argued with him about, uh, no, I know the sound of a 45 ACP being fired. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm in the military. Right. I, I know right. Gun, you know, uh-huh. I, I spend time on a gun range for my job occasionally. That's, and, and, you know, had to, had to get the crazy eye for my grandfather for a second before he realized he needed to shut up. Right. But, but yeah, it was it was it was truly mm-hmm. uh, everywhere in and around in and around Miami in that time period. And like there there was not a neighborhood that was immune to it. Is kind of kind of the the point I'm trying to yeah. reinforce. Well, in 1980, Miami had 573 murders. Sweet Jesus! And that was really? a record. The next year, 621. Wow! Yeah. The the Miami yeah, to Columbia route was paved with cocaine and blood, like that's <laughs> it's insane. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you can see why the DEA is like, oh, we gotta do something about this. Well, yeah. And so and and people were finding every which way possible to smuggle drugs in, uh, specifically co- cocaine planes. You could store a lot of coke on planes. Small planes and big planes. Uh, and and for a while, it's just small planes. But then people are like, well, we've been successful. Let's go with bigger planes. And that's what mm-hmm. happens, you know. Boats, cargo boats filled with cocaine. Speedboats yeah. filled with cocaine. Cigarette boats. Yeah. Filled with not cigarettes. Right. Submarines. 
Okay, how early did the submarines thing start? Because I know that's that's a current thing that the Coast Guard is dealing with. That I remember there was <clears throat> there was a a fellow who worked in the CIA who was working with Russian agents shortly after the fall of the USSR. <clears throat> And they tried okay. to sell him a sub that they'd been using for years. And these were mobsters. <laughs> so they're like, oh, would you want to buy the sub? And 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 that tells me that subs had been being used for quite yeah. some time in the Caribbean. Yeah. Uh, in fact, they'd even so. use human mules on commercial flights. Oh, yeah. It, it's it's, it's kind of like um, at a swap meet, you'll see small um, booths and you'll see large booths. You'll see smaller yeah. tents and bigger tents. And, you know, some are sm- selling at volume and some are selling just enough to, like, you know, to, to get by. And that's what you're seeing with this. The Tony Montana story in Scarface was 100% a direct reflection of what Oliver Stone directly witnessed in his cocaine explorations in Miami in the 70s. I didn't put I it in how here. how you say explorations. Oh, yeah. Oh, he. Whew. As opposed to, you know, binges. Yes. But like I didn't but, put it in yeah. here, but there was a story about how he just hung out with all these guys, and of course, cocaine makes people paranoid. And so he, <laughs> like, there was a dude who just like you know they were laughing and having fun, and then uh, Oliver Stone mentioned some guy who had killed a few of their friends, and the dude just stopped and stared at him. He's like, "I'm gonna go outside," and uh, Oliver Stone said, "I slept with one eye open that night." Like it was. And he he but he took that character and he's like, okay, that ability to go from, you know, happy, happy, happy to stone cold killer on the drop of a dime. Um, Yeah. yeah. And people could become millionaires overnight with the right connections and with the right application of violence. So you have a whole bunch of stuff going on on the East Coast uh, down south, specifically with cocaine. Moving up north, you've got a lot of pot smuggling. Uh, and right now I'm going to take us to a commercial break because it's been a few okay. few shows since we've had a commercial. So I'll catch you on the other side. All right. I like that. Mm-hmm. Hello, Geek Timers. This is producer George interrupting this podcast to let you know that we have space available. This space could be used to promote your product, book, event, group, even wish a special someone happy birthday. If you're interested in using this space, please contact us on Twitter via private message at Geek History Time. So, there's our commercial, guaranteed not to have you smuggling anything uh, as a human mule. So, Indeed. Something I'm, Which, I'm, I'm proud know. of. I'd say so. I think I think that's a laudable thing to to avoid. Mm-hmm. I, I so, would agree. There you go. I would agree. Yeah. Uh, so um, on the West Coast, so we just finished talking about kind of East po- East Coast stuff. Um, yeah. The West Coast, um, you had San Pedro, San Francisco. These are the ports of call, essentially, for smuggling drugs and moving up to Washington state, same basic principle, but you're getting stuff from Thailand. You're getting stuff from pot fields in Hawaii. Specifically, you're getting Southeast Asian trade. You're getting a lot of, and this is going to be really awful. You're getting a lot of heroin being packed into coffins. 
um, of soldiers yes. from Vietnam. Like, and, and I'm yeah. going to probably talk about the soldiers from Vietnam for a little bit because, again, Han Solo. Um, now, it's 1974. Uh, there's a okay. fellow uh, named Tom, and his name has one of those little squiggly things below the letter C. Uh, so I, I read it as Forcade. But I don't know what that squiggly under a C does for pronunciation. Might be might be for Forsad. Forsad. Tom Forsad. Okay. He was a drug smuggler um, who used his drug smuggling profits to found the magazine High Times. Okay. High Times was to pot what Playboy was to boobs. Okay. Um, That's and, a good analogy. Yeah. And by 1976, High Times was on its way to having 4 million in circulation. It was a mainstream, commercially successful counterculture magazine that advertised an illegal substance, and it highlighted stories of smugglers and their efforts to bring that substance into the United States. And it was all started by the profits that he made by smuggling that illegal substance. Okay, so yeah. so where where was he getting his stuff from? Was it was it Mexican? Was it Hawaiian? He had was he, become was he a boater, a pilot. What was? How did he do this? Well, so he'd become a drug smuggler after serving a few months in the Air Force. He basically learned to fly, and then he tricked them into thinking he was mentally incompetent. Um, and uh, so he, I don't know where he was getting it from, but that's that's where. Um, okay. The money came from was the, was the smuggle. Um, so in 1977, High Times was rivaling Rolling Stone and National Lampoon in terms of circulation. Um, wow. Here's a fun fact about Tom Forsad. He was the first documented man in 1970 to use pieing as a form of protest. <laughs> Bullshit. Documented. The Ooh, first okay. time, okay. first time, and he did it when he hit Otto Larson, who was chairman of the President's Committee on Obscenity and Pornography, in the face with a pie. Do we know what kind of pie? Uh custard. I do know what kind of pie. It was custard pie. Okay, okay. all right. <laughs> Good to know. Good so to know. he was the founder of a magazine. <laughs> he pied a man, and he was a drug okay. smuggler. Okay, hold on. Sure. But, but, okay, so he founded the magazine in '74. Yes. The the magazine was founded with his with his with his pot profits. Yep, pot smuggling it was profits. Pot, yeah, yes, in in seventy, mm-hmm. he's the first documented person to to pie a government official in protest. Yeah. What what was he protesting? Well, it was a commission on obscenity and pornography. So he's going hard against censorship. Okay. Yeah. Um, All right. And I just, that was too delicious a fact to take out. Like, I was, I was just, I was tickled by that. Well, you know, kind of like the custard. Exactly. Uh, so, so, it was okay. not his last stand either. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah, he's a drug smuggler. Now, his story doesn't end well. Uh, he gets really paranoid, uh, does a lot. He never met a drug he didn't like. Um, oh, there's man. all kinds of really fun details about high times. Like they had a backup receptionist just in case their normal receptionist was too high to do her job. Um, <laughs> they, they would advertise to, uh, reporters. You could have like this much pay and all the pot that you could like snort, inject, swallow, uh, smoke, whatever, like just as much as you wanted. Um, they had like 
They had, it was like a speakeasy kind of an office where people wouldn't even need to see each other. They just go into different rooms to try different kinds of pot. Um, their, their magazine had a, uh, a centerfold fold out of pot. Um, yeah, all yeah, kinds yeah. of, um, now, uh, wow. just another fun little tidbit about this and my parents. Um, I put out a call, uh, to social media a couple days ago saying, Hey, does anybody have this particular issue of high times? Cause there's an article in it that I need to grab some quotes from, cause I know where I want to go with it, but I want to get the full article just to make sure. Uh, sure enough, my mom hits up her middle school group on Facebook <laughs> and she says, Hey, does anybody have that issue? Well, the moderator of that group damn near kicks her out of the group because that's inappropriate. And my mom's like, uh, you, you do realize that we were like the number one class, our class, 1974 of, of high school was the number one class of like drug overdoses, drug suicides, and on and on and on like we did all the drugs like she was part of a group called the flying team which was a come down squad like if somebody was having a bad trip they would go help the person come down it was wow oh god and this is by the way suburban detroit this is dearborn michigan so so she puts out this call miami and it's yeah not san francisco right no no no, literally just yeah. about smack in the middle of the country where Henry yeah. Ford got started. Like, yeah. So <laughs> like, so she puts out this call to the people who went to her middle school and they're like, and the moderator's like, well, that's really inappropriate. And she's like, and I was joking with my mom. I'm like, well, it might've been inappropriate, but it was absolutely the right ask because who else would yeah. know? Um, yeah. but so then my mom went and, and subscribed to high times and then sent me the code, uh, for a month. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Thanks, right. mom. Your, your mom goes hard. Yeah, apparently. Your mom, so, your mom does not shy away. No. So, yeah, mommy got me a subscription to High Times <laughs> and The Atlantic this year. So, <laughs> okay. The Atlantic was for my birthday, but also she got me High Times this month. So, I'm trying to I'm trying to I'm trying to picture the crossover of, of anybody who's not, you know, right. a podcaster like, right like us of like I have my subscription to the Atlantic and <laughs> I Times. Yeah. That's that's a particular that's 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 that an odd yeah. doesn't have a lot of lot of overlap. Yeah. There. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird. All right. So okay, so back to Tom Forsad. It doesn't end well for yeah. him. Um he gets really, really paranoid. He eventually uh, shoots himself in the head and commits suicide. Um, and yeah. it's largely because he had a lot of unresolved PTSD from not from being in the military, uh, but because he and his friend Jack Coombs were both on separate planes doing a smuggling run. And Jack's plane exploded right off the to the side of, of Tom's. And so he never got over that. And so he ended oh, up wow. killing himself. Yeah. So. But in high times, there were all kinds of articles about different smugglers' exploits, how they got away from the cops and stuff like that. The underworld of pot use lauded these heroes who evaded capture and who also went to these far-flung locations that we can't even point to on a map. Nepal, Bhutan, Tibet, various jungles in South America, kingdoms in the Middle East, war zones in Southeast Asia, and all in the effort to bring back drugs smuggled to the United States. So I want you to remember they went to all the different places in the world, one yeah. end to the other, to bring drugs. So okay. 
now to to get the use out of my mom's subscription to High Times in the summer issue of 1974. Here's a fun quote. They had this thing called. Um, oh, God, I, it wasn't called the blaze. It was something similar, though. And it essentially read kind of like a, uh, you know, like the police report on a local small newspaper. OK. You know, a man was found uh, buggering a beaver and then, you know, and arrested and then shortly thereafter, you know, released. I, I, um, I, I love I love how you say, you know, local local news report. And that's where your brain goes. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> you know. All right. But, you know, and then you see like the ellipsis and then it tells you like uh, so and so their window got broken by three boys playing baseball and that, yeah. you know, you get the ellipsis. So here's here's a quote. Feds estimate that they got probably 10 percent of incoming pot and they're probably right. Dot, dot, dot. Monster loads that are busted at are the tip of the iceberg. Dot, dot, dot. Pot so widespread now that enforcement nearly impossible. Dot, dot, dot. National Guard was reportedly called in to guard the 25 to 30 tons busted at Christmas time in Florida, and they reportedly used a Ringling Brothers tent to house it. They burned it as quick as possible to avoid a commando heist that was rumored. My mom, her brother, my mom's older brother had friends who got arrested and got their shit seized, and this happened around the same time. Uh... It's entirely possible that my mom actually knows some of the people who got arrested. And this was a huge drug bust, by the way. And it happened around Gainesville. Um, wow. Yeah. Okay. How many tons again? Uh, 25 to 30. Tons. Tons. So that's, that's between 50 and 60,000 pounds. And that's only 10%. Of weed. Yeah. Well, that's that's one bust. Yeah. That's, 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 that's not even, that's not You're even right. 10%. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's part of the 10% that mm-hmm. they're bringing in. Gee, many Chris, I'm just trying to picture the sheer biomass mm-hmm. of, of like the amount of acreage yeah. of all that growing. Like, oh yeah. And that's on the East coast, right? So that's, um, Jesus. yeah, that's coming in by plane, um, and by boat. Uh, here's okay. another another quote from the same uh, basic article. Um, okay. With a lot of narcs becoming dealers and dealers becoming narcs, one begins to ask what they have in common. <laughs> God damn, <laughs> you know. There you go. Wow. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Here's another one. Uh, Fed task force on stopping smugglers has reportedly moved office to Gainesville. That's the the thing. Now I get a yeah. kick out of this. Five dollar fine on grass is now law again in Ann Arbor. <laughs> and uh, there's a place and I'm going to spell it and then butcher it Y-P-S-I-L-A-N-T-I Ypsilanti? Ypsilanti Ypsilanti, Ypsilanti Michigan Oh, it's in Michigan, okay Yeah um, Dot, dot, dot Same in Oregon Dot, dot, dot Lots of new books on dope and few and a few on dealing So just, you know wow. Things coming across the ticker And then uh, so yeah, that's what's going on in High Times, a major publication <clears throat> that is commercially successful. So okay, yeah, all right. So 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 the DEA mm-hmm. was was established in '74 to try to stamp all this out, right? Okay, what like what what percentage of the population as a whole mm-hmm. was was part of the clientele? 
that glad, these guys were serving. Glad that you asked that. I have those uh, percentages. Um, oh, from 1972 to 1975, the amount of adults who admitted to using pot went from 11 to 24 percent. That's a quarter of all so, adults having practiced. So not quite. Yeah. Not quite one in four. Right. I'm going to round it up one in four because 24 percent. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. But it increased yeah, by know, but... uh, more than double in in a five year period. Yeah. Which that tells me there's a lot of availability. When okay, so when because I mean we we know now because mm-hmm. they they came out and you know said the quiet part out loud after you know they they thought it didn't matter anymore. They knew that we couldn't make it illegal to be blacker against the war. But if oh, we you're getting make, ahead of me. You know, getting pot illegal. Yeah, that's oh, that's coming. Okay. That's right. coming. All right. So, Sorry. but I will answer you this as well. Because, um, yeah. One, because if one in four people is using mm-hmm. this stuff mm-hmm. or, or has used it, like, how, how do you even begin to think you're going to get a handle on, on trying to enforce making that illegal? There's a lot of delusion like, that gets to happen that way. Yeah. Okay. Well, and it gets to the Carry question on. of are you Just, actually trying to make it illegal or are you trying to set up a system wherein you can disfranchise a large chunk of society? I would argue it's the latter, not the former. Well, yeah. Yeah. So for kids well, in 1975, yeah, you're, you're it was step ahead of me. What's that? Yeah. No, I just you're a step ahead of me with oh, the with yeah. the logic of, of the disenfranchisement being the point. But yeah. Yeah, carry on. So in 1975, just under 40% of kids admitted to using pot. By 1980, it was 50%. And we'll get into why that is a, a little bit later. So in, 19, okay. in 1972, huh. well, in, in the 1970s, High Times did more to romanticize drug smuggling than anything else did in the 1970s. Um, because again, look at its circulation. Uh, and it was explicit about yeah. it. Now, in 1972, the Republican presidential campaign uh, flat out accused the Democrats of being the party of, quote, acid, amnesty, and abortion. Wow. Which, when I did my episode on the New World Order, yeah. I didn't think to reach back and grab that, even though Pat Buchanan was around at that time, oh. too. Like, I can't oh, believe yeah. I missed that. Well, that was... Yeah. So, Jesus. Also, okay. in early 72, Nixon makes a commission on marijuana. Um, it's called the National Commission on Marijuana and Drug Abuse. Uh, it was popularly called the Schaefer Commission uh, because Raymond Schaefer, who was the former governor of Pennsylvania, uh, headed it up. He had been the leader of the moderate wing of Republicans in the 1960s. Um, okay. He also, Nixon also tapped conservative Senator Harold Hughes from Iowa to be on it. And in March okay. of 72, um, the commission presented its report to Congress and the public and titled it Marijuana, spelled with an H, um, a signal of misunderstanding. And the report basically said they did due diligence on this. And the report said uh, that you should end marijuana prohibition and adopt other methods of discouraging its use. So okay, we do that with other things. Nixon was pissed, and he just ignored it. <laughs> now, remember, this is 72, March yeah. of 72. 
Um, yeah. Like, this is a big deal going into an election. So he's like, I, yeah. you know, I want to be the president of, of law and order. And I want white people scared of everything. And and his own guys that he handpicked, they're like, yeah, dude, it's not a big deal. We were really worried about it for, for not much reason. In fact, it should be legal. And he's like, that's, uh, and he says, quote, I can see no social or moral justification for legalizing marijuana. So. Okay. So, so. He he got a report from his own people mm-hmm. that he didn't like. Yep, and so he ignored it. Yeah. So I'm going to go back mm-hmm. to to a prior uh, president mm-hmm. uh, when we when we talked about um, Jayhawks and Bushwhackers in in oh, Missouri. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was the same thing. It was yeah. no, no. These guys are illegitimate. Here's a congressional report that these guys are illegitimate and, you know, this other government needs to be the one that's installed it. Can't. Nope. Yeah, that was Franklin nope. Pierce, right? That was yeah. indeed Franklin Pierce. Good old magic so... testicles, Franklin Pierce. <laughs> Good old squash ball. Yeah. So. <laughs> and you brought that up in that episode, too. I did. It's one of my favorite <laughs> things about him. His hair was really cool, but the fact that he squashed, squashed his nuts to the point of fainting, that's something. Like, like I, I don't know if you've ever done this. Like, if you have a wooden chair and your balls hit yep. the chair before you do, and then your oh. thigh is on top oh. of your balls, so you get that double impact and that bouncy yeah. pain. That shit hurts, but it never made my ass faint. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Once or twice, I've, I've, I've had the room spin on me. Have so, you really? like, I'm not gonna. Wow. Oh man, maybe um, I'm hitting the wrong ball. Maybe, maybe my left ball just hits everything a little sooner. <laughs> So they always called me old left long ball harmony though. So yeah, know, well, yeah, you know, bat wing Damien, you know, so, <laughs> so Nixon's up for reelection. He wants to see, seem very tough on drugs and crime. And he just yeah. spent the last four years using drugs and crime as code for black folks um, yeah. and scaring white folks about it. And I'm going to get into uh, that a little bit later as well. Um, the report said that while public sentiment tended to view marijuana users as dangerous, the report actually found users to be more timid, more drowsy, and more passive. You know, because they're on pot. Because they're stoned. Yeah. Like, it... like, I mean, okay, the worst, the worst thing that a, a pot smoker is going to do, like... Is is rummage through your pantry when you're not looking and steal all of your graham crackers? Like, yeah. See, I I kind of think of it a different way. I think the worst thing that a pot person, uh, somebody on pot's going to do, is yeah. pontificate on some really dumb fucking point in in like Pulp Fiction and tell me about yeah. how that's life, man. And it's like, oh shit, could you just take a few more hits so you shut up like like how how many more hits will it take for you to fall asleep right yeah do those do those do do how like, many that is yeah. like like how many do i have to roll for you to right. get to that point so yeah like yeah but yeah. but they're going to they're going to do that yep. they're going to suddenly discover their fingers yeah whoa yeah or like they're just going to be a slightly quieter version of themselves well, yeah, that's mostly and, and it. Yeah, they're gonna, they're gonna eat all your snacks. They're mm-hmm. gonna they're gonna you know stink stink the place up because I mean it you does know, stuff reek. Yeah, but but <laughs> I have like, a story about that for you. <laughs> and yeah, so like 
how does anybody see pot smokers as a threat? But tell me your story. I want to well, hear They the see story. pot smokers as a threat, threat largely because it was um, criminalized and, and excoriated in the 1930s. Uh, as first off, it was given the name marijuana because it was then tied to Mexican immigrants and they're bad. And then it was called reefer and there was it was tied to black people and they're bad. Um, and the, and then they made exploitation films about it uh, to get around uh, what was the predecessor to the Hayes Code, such as reefer madness. And so then everybody saw that and thought that that was the truth. Um, but okay. here's the story I've got. My mom. Again, she was in the most drug-using uh, class of her entire school. Um, yeah. and, and I'm not going to tell too many tales out of school, literally. Um, but uh, she and her friends would be in the, you know, this is, this is the Midwest, so everybody has a basement. They would be in the basement. And my great-great-aunt, who lived with them at the time, came down and she said, Is somebody burning rope? And she couldn't figure out why it smelled like someone was burning rope. And she's talking to all these teenagers. Who's been burning rope? And then she went back upstairs grumbling about people burning rope. And it was, you know, them smoking pot. What I didn't realize until like maybe six years ago, I was thinking about that story. Rope used to be made of what? Hemp. So that made perfect sense. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, that's why. So the downside to me never doing anything. Yeah, Uh, well, yeah. (laughs) No, uh, what what was uh, it? It didn't twig for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 two were in any way connected until uh, actually in college, mm-hmm. in a Dungeons and Dragons game. At the very beginning of our campaign, we were busy. You know, everybody was creating our characters, mm-hmm. and one of the guys in the group who who hadn't played before was looking through the uh, player's handbook at the equipment chart. Mm-hmm. And um, the the uh, equipment chart made a distinction between silk rope mm-hmm. and hemp rope. Right. And and he 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 just he got such a big kick out of hemp rope, hemp and rope, really mm-hmm. hemp rope, and and like wouldn't shut up about it. And and it took me two game sessions to figure out why he thought that was funny. And he made a point of every time we made camp in the game, mm-hmm. he would say, "All right, I'm gonna go, uh, you know, cut off cut off a, a, a yard and uh, smoke some of my rope." And to him, that joke never got old. Yeah. And to the rest of us, it was like, "How many hits on that rope do we need to give you for you to just go asleep?" <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah no. Um, I mean, well, shit, during World War II, there were movies about hemp for victory. Oh, absolutely. You know, because, again, rope, cord, all the all the oh, yeah. stuff that, yeah. you know, that was a Because we didn't have synthetics yet. For. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, George H.W. Bush, really his life was saved by the fact that he had a hemp parachute. Like, yeah. That was, you know. Uh, cause, and you know, silk is the other thing, right? So it's, yeah. yeah. So I have a question. If you were to make a cestus, I only know the Latin, a, a, a punching glove, um, out of that hemp rope, would it be considered a blunt instrument? (laughs) You're slipping. You're way. I'm the one delivering content here, pal. Like I can't get that. Yeah, but you've done way better. I have. But yeah. So, yeah, no, you would, in fact, consider yeah. that a blunt object. There you go. So uh, the the report um, yes. said that um, 
Cannabis does not cause a widespread danger to society. It recommended that using social measures other than criminalization would help discourage use, which okay. makes sense. Um, it compared the situation of cannabis to that of alcohol, which was something that was totally acceptable to white America. Now, there's a senator, a Democrat from Mississippi named Jim Eastland, who opposed the recommendation to decriminalize pot. And then two years later, in 1974, he led a subcommittee and they issued their own report. And their report said, quote, five years of research has provided has provided strong evidence that if corroborated would suggest that marijuana in various forms is far more hazardous than originally suspected. Okay, now is is this where we first start really hearing the drum getting beaten about uh, gateway drug? No, that's not going to be until bicentennial summer two years later. But I would okay. I would like to point out what he said here was technically true. Um, because he said five years of research has provided strong evidence that if corroborated. What a genius weasel word that is. Well, he is from the South. Like I was thinking about it the other day and I'm going to be very regionalist here. I was walking uh, down the street and I realized this guy, because I, I did a bit of a deep dive on this prick. Um, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what you really think. <laughs> no shit. This guy <laughs> embodies why I think the South is is just a cancer um, and needs to just be completely uh, carved away. Like, it, it has never been good for this country. Uh, and don't get me wrong, the trappings of the South are really cool. The culture of the South is fucking awful um, because he is absolutely opposing decriminalizing something which was suggested based on evidence, makes up his own evidence, lies about it, and then uses just enough weasel words that it is the thing that then takes over. This, to me, is not that different than the three-fifths compromise that Southerners came up with that overrepresented them in the uh, House of Reps um, and and yeah. enabled their power as slaveholders to stay for way longer than nature would have ever let happen. Yeah. So now yeah, he... Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Eastland was also a horrible racist. Um, Big shock. Yeah. Johnson roasted him once and said that if there was, and I'm paraphrasing, so I don't get to say that. So I don't say the N word, but Johnson basically said Eastland could be standing in the middle of the biggest flood of Mississippi and he'd blame it on blacks who were helped by communists, except he didn't use such nice words. Yeah. Well, because it's Johnson. When, when, when when Lyndon Baines motherfucking Johnson yep. is calling you out for being a racist jackass, mm -hmm. you really, really need to take a minute to look in the mirror and go, am I the bad guy? Yeah. Eastland because, was... Because, holy shit, Oh, dude. yeah. Eastland was one of three senators uh, or three legislators. I, I think they were all three senators. Um, who really was kind of the core of the, the, the South's like holding on to racism legislatively. It was him, Strom Thurmond, and Richard Russell. Like, yeah, he the was the holy trinity. Yeah, he was like the lepidus of this group, you know? Um, but, <laughs> but here's a list of shit that he said. He suggested that James Cheney, uh, Mickey Schwerner, and Andrew Goodman were doing a publicity stunt 
that there was no KKK in Mississippi, and he suggested, oh, they probably went up to Chicago. He was on something called the Genetics Committee of the Pioneer Fund. The Pioneer Fund was started in 1937 to study and focus on heredity and human difference. It's essentially a white supremacy science group. Eugenics. Yeah, pretty well, yeah. It's, I mean, you know, oh, he, he claimed wow. that black folks and white folks both wanted segregation in 1957 and that claims otherwise were a fiction from the North. Well, I mean, because, duh, because right. everything is the fault of the North. Right. He was part of the if White Citizens if Council. If you're a white guy from Mississippi, oh, yeah. everything is the fault oh, yeah. of the North. Which, Jesus. by the way, Mississippi had like one of the highest usage rates of marijuana and also the stiffest penalties. Like that's that's what I mean about the South being a fucking disease. Um, like, like, like. Yeah. It, there's evidence, man. Go with it. You know. But he was part of the White Citizens Council, which was sixty thousand strong throughout the South, um, and it was hailed as the new clan that used economic pressure instead of violence. Oh, yay! Right. What fucking progress? His- I'm sorry. <laughs> Line up in the street with all of the other racist, fascist assholes. Yeah. Oh, my God. His response to the Brown versus Board was, quote, The Southern institution of racial segregation or racial separation was the correct, self-evident truth which arose from the chaos and confusion of the Reconstruction period. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I stopped there because I I knew you had something to say. I need need to pause for a moment. Uh But just the parallelism in his phrasing. Yep. Between him, between that, and the cornerstone speech. Yep. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm not the only one that that, that that like, leaps out at. No. Right? No. Okay. And the amount of bullshit lies that are, that are contained within that, like, 30 words. Like, there's almost well, as many lies as there are words. Yeah. So to uh, argue that, you would have to spend so much energy just to unpack that first half of the quote. Yeah. But then there's more. He said, oh, fuck me. <laughs> separation promotes racial harmony. It permits okay. each race to follow its own pursuits and its own civilization. Segregation is not discrimination. He's about to is, get is, religious, is, so. Okay. <laughs> do, do you want to respond to this part? Or, okay. No, okay. no, no. Mr. President, it is the law of nature, it is the law of God, that every race has both the right and the duty to perpetuate itself. No, no, oh. <laughs> no, no. Well, sorry. where's the lie in no. that? Everybody has the right to perpetuate themselves. The lie is in the idea that God ever made a distinction between races. You, like, you, like you could argue nowhere... Tower of Babel. You could argue the, the Curse of Ham. Uh, no, okay. Um, Tower of Babel mm-hmm. was a, a uh, separation of people by, by cultural group because of hubris. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't anywhere say that like you can't learn one another's languages and intermarry. Um, and, and curse of ham mm-hmm. doesn't, doesn't say you can't curse of Cain doesn't say, you know, it says you're, you're, you know, outcast, you're separate. We're not, we're not going to deal with you. Doesn't, doesn't say anything about 
God creating a separate race. That's a, that's, and, and besides which I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to reiterate this, this idea that if you say you are a Christian, mm-hmm. the part of the Bible you should really be taking more of your, your evidence from for mm-hmm. any kind of religious, anything is, is the book that actually has Christ in it. Not the Old Testament. I mean, okay, if if you want to nitpick as a Catholic, I mean, we don't really need to sit here and listen to you Romanizers, though. I mean, really. It's it's real easy to shop around your confirmation bias. (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. No, but but anybody, the the thing is, though, and, Mm -hmm. and, and... you know, whatever whatever your opinion may be of whatever schisms have happened within Christianity, mm-hmm. um, if you claim the name of Christ, mm-hmm. you should be looking at what Christ said. And, you know, the old the Old Testament is is part of that story. I don't know. I mean, I'm a really big fan of Hakim Olajuwon, but that doesn't mean that I have to be seven feet tall to enjoy basketball. Checkmate atheists. Okay. First, you're an atheist. Yeah. Second, yeah. what the fuck does that have to do with anything? Well, clearly I used something that was grammatically similar to the thing you used, and I proved you wrong. So, <laughs> ball's in your court. Oh my God, you're not an atheist. You're a fucking Baptist. <laughs> well, you can be both. Um, so... <laughs> So. No, you know, but, but before we move on, sure. this, the, his 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 whole like everything about that was just so fucking wrong. Oh, and like, he's not done either. It, what? He's not done either. Oh God damn it! I but still no. got like two more sentences from that quote. Oh, okay, <laughs> but before we move on to whatever other fresh hell he yeah. he wants to linguistically inflict on us, I I just I need to include. <laughs> the the statement mm-hmm. that slavery mm-hmm. completely fucked American Christianity like permanently like like because an entire an, an entire branch of the tree of of religious sects schisms whatever that 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 happened here in this country within Christianity happened because people in the south white people in the south had mm-hmm. to justify owning people mm-hmm. and the moment you do that you you immediately have to go back to the Old Testament, mm-hmm. you you have to move away from, you know, the things that Jesus exhorts us to do in terms of of mercy and and compassion and, you know, flipping tables in the temple because rich people suck, right. uh, you know, and and you have to go back to you know the 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 God of the Old Testament, and then you wind up having an emphasis on rules and propriety and and everything that was part of that mm-hmm. over actual spirituality. And so slavery fucked over American Christianity and and that line right there 
yeah is is an eloquent and and perfectly concise mm-hmm. uh, explanation of just exactly how it did. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna blow up all of that though, and because I'm gonna point out that black people own slaves too. So, <laughs> yes, yes. So, win, so it's clearly okay. not racism. Yeah, clearly, yeah. clearly can't yeah. be. No. So, all right. So here's the rest of his quote. <laughs> all right. Um, let's see. Uh, all free men have the right to associate exclusively with members of their own race, free from governmental interference, if they so desire. And remember, this is his rejoinder to Brown versus Board that said, you can't segregate schools full of kids. You have to actually integrate them. Like, you can't make one yeah. group of people not go to a school nearby because you're it's it's falling unevenly on them you are you are yeah. by law denying them their <clears throat> yeah. constitutional rights he then also said that the brown versus board destroyed the constitution see you you keep using these words <laughs> i do not think they mean what you think they mean yeah like here's the deal we had a war mm-hmm. your side lost because yep. It was inevitable that you were going to lose because, like, you had nothing but a lawn. Well, it was on a lost side, and you, you didn't know. even have a lawn. Yeah, well, you know, it really <laughs> was actually. So <laughs> it really, genuinely was. Uh, you know, but you know, you you had you had no material advantages. You had no advantage in numbers. You you had nothing. You had a moral so, advantage, though. You were fighting for heritage. No, they weren't fighting for fucking heritage. <laughs> no, no, like you I mean, inherit no, slaves. That's no, heritage. Oh, Thank you. Okay. Right, okay. Checkmate atheists. <laughs> and again, yeah, the only atheist here is you. Yeah, but well, there's that. Anyway, there's that. So, so. But, <laughs> but but like you know, we we had a whole war about this. Your side lost, mm-hmm. and we literally we literally mm-hmm. wrote parts of the Constitution. Mm-hmm that require this to be a thing. That's also true. And so you 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 want to try to stand here and say this destroys the constitution. It's it's required by the constitution. You ignorant prick. Mm. We'll have to agree to disagree. He also supported all white <laughs> primaries. <laughs> okay, okay. All white primaries? Yeah. Yeah. Like only white people voting in a primary election? Right. This is Mississippi. Okay, wait. And he's a Democrat. <laughs> you remember you remember when Johnson actually told black people, y'all are going to need to sit this one out when the Mississippi Democratic Freedom Party, the MFDP, was like, there are no black delegates in, in Mississippi for the Democratic yeah. Party. And a shit ton of us vote Democratic now. Uh, yeah. because Johnson and Kennedy, and also there's more black people than white people in Mississippi. And John was, yeah. Johnson was like, yeah, I'm sorry, we're going to, we're not going to seat you. Like Fannie Lou Hamer was told you're going to need to sit back. Like that was happening. And this guy was a, a Senator in Mississippi, always reelected. And he supported all white primaries. Here's the thing that he said during the war against the Nazis. 
Okay. He said, I have no prejudice in my heart, but the white race is the superior race and the Negro race an inferior race and the races must be kept separate by law. In 1970, he voted against an occupational safety bill that would establish federal supervision to oversee working conditions. He was one of three senators who voted against it. Uh, He was a Democrat who supported Democrats. And as a result, he brought in Democrat votes for Democratic candidates. And in turn, they let his segregationist tendencies slide. He also was a huge fanboy of Herbert Hoover, by the way, and regularly (laughs) defended him because, because of of course, he was. Yeah. And he regularly defended Hoover's efforts from the Senate floor. And so when it came out that Eastland was receiving monies from Rafael Trujillo, the dictator of the Dominican Republic, Hoover didn't go after Eastland on corruption charges. Because because he brought home electoral results. Well, because he was so vibrantly anti-communist, Hoover's like, yeah, okay, I like the cut of this guy's jib. Uh, Biden said in 2019, Joe Biden said, I was in a caucus with James O. Eastland. He never called me boy. He always called me son. You remember that? Because Cory Booker responded with, you don't joke about calling black men boys. Men like James O. Eastland use words like that and the racist policies that accompanied them to perpetuate white supremacy and strip black Americans of our very humanity. So that's one of the people who is on the side against marijuana being legal. And so you see this dynamic happening. There's a lot of mainstream support for decriminalization and the opposition against it is both reactionary and in power. Well, you know, and, and when you talk about the, the public support for it, mm-hmm. um, what's, what's interesting about that is I remember hearing about, you know, there, there was widespread, you know, I don't know if belief is the right word, but there, there, there was this, this understanding that there was this possibility that legalization might happen and the cigarette companies, mm-hmm freaked out yeah well so it wasn't legalization it was decriminalization um at at this time at least in fact um when carter became president there was a marked shift toward decriminalization and i i didn't get to go into normal and all kinds of organizations like that but he uh he actually put in charge of the national institute on drug abuse a man in favor of decriminalization carter himself said Um, penalties against possession of a drug should not be more damaging to an individual than the use of the drug itself. And where they are, they should be changed. He was suggesting civil fines, not jail time. And he still wanted to go after drug dealers, but not the users. And his chief advisor on this was a guy named Dr. Peter Bourne, who subscribed to a Dutch approach of harm reduction. And essentially it said a government cannot make a society drug-free. It could only mitigate the harm that those drugs did. Um, and, and so there's this wonderful story that I'm going to end this episode with, and then we'll pick it back up in Atlanta, 1976, um, born, I believe it was Peter born. Um, he, he went to a party, um, where they were talking about, uh, decriminalizing pot and he had written a few speeches for Carter saying we need to decriminalize pot. And while at that party, he went over, uh, he went up to a different room and did a couple bumps of cocaine, which was normal at that time 
for powerful people to do because hypocrisy has always been the thing. Well, yeah. So he goes up there and, and does a couple of bumps of coke. There's a reporter there who hates him because he had supported the use of Paraquat years prior. Now, Paraquat is a herbicide that um, the Mexican government was still spraying on pot fields um, and when inhaled in smoked form, caused the user to cough up blood. And the argument was, don't kill fucking people. And the counter argument was, well, it's illegal what they're doing. So, eh. which is very similar to when they poisoned alcohol during prohibition. Yeah. The reporter who saw him hated him for this and basically told him, I saw you doing cocaine. I'm going to do a story on you doing cocaine. What's your response? And he said, honestly, I don't think that this story should be done. I think it'll not get you what you want and it'll set back what you're advocating for. And by the way, this reporter was in favor of decriminalization. He said it'll set it back by quite a bit. The guy said, I, I'm, I'm going to burn this fucker because he's a hypocrite. Here's the problem with you know ideological uh, purity. Yeah, purity um, tests. He burned him. And Carter was like, that's a huge fucking black mark on us. I can't decriminalize now. Um, and and I have to tell my whole staff, y'all are expected to follow the laws too. And so he does. He tells them that. And he shelves the decriminalization efforts. Who was the reporter? I don't remember. It was a guy from the Washington, I want to say Washington Post. Um, but yeah, it just like, Wow. Um, so that's, that's what happens in the 1970s vis-a-vis this, this swing from it should be completely illegal, absent any information and evidence all the way to, no, we're going to decriminalize it. And then back to now we're going to keep going with the status quo because politically we got fucked. Um, I think in many ways, uh, this was like the second time that that somebody screwed up just a little bit too much and it hurt everybody way more than it needed to because Mm -hmm. if he hadn't done that we would have had pot decriminalized and there would have been a very different landscape um similar to when ted kennedy was the single vote needed to get a universal health care and he said fuck you to jimmy carter and voted against it and then yeah. when we got to Obamacare, he got a brain tumor and he lost, you know, he died and his seat went to a Republican who, you know, voted against the black guy's idea. Um, yeah. And so we ended up not getting universal health care. Uh, so a few times it just turns on a dime, uh, which yeah. which is something. Anyway, um, so uh, do you have any books that you want to recommend? Um, not at present. I'm all, all the reading I'm doing right now is, is tied, uh, directly into getting ready to go back to school. Gotcha. That's fair. Uh, yeah. a lot of, you? a lot of what I used for this, uh, this research was started from a book called Can't Find My Way Home by Martin Torgoff. It's a fantastic okay. book. Um, it's, it's a, it's a big thick one, but it's a, it's a good one. Um, and it's basically America in the Great, Great Stone Age, 1945 to 2000 is the subtitle. It's a really good read. He, he writes very accessibly. So I strongly recommend people go out and get it. Um, okay. It's on Kindle. So you can, you know, you don't have to carry it with you. Um, so if people want to argue with you uh, about how you clearly don't understand that the Civil War was not about slavery, um, <laughs> where can they find you on social media? 
<clears throat> I will fight them on that, and they can <laughs> find me to do it at E.H. Blaylock on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can find me also at uh, Mr. Blaylock on uh, TikTok and Mr. Blaylock on, uh, what's the other one, Instagram. Mm. And uh, they can, of course, find both of us mm-hmm. on the Twitter machine at uh, Geek History Time. Yes. Where can you be found? I can be found at Da Harmony, two H's in the middle, on both Twitter and Insta. And you can you can find me every Tuesday night uh, on uh, twitch.tv forward slash capital puns. Um, in September, we've got a hell of a lineup coming to you from all over the world. Uh, in fact, just this last week, we had somebody from Washington, D.C. In, in, uh, in September, we're going to have a couple different folks from England, uh, somebody from New York, uh, and, and some very well-known comedians. So uh, take a look for that. Um, very cool. Yeah. So uh, until the next episode, uh, for A Geek History of Time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, keep rolling 20s. <laughs> rolling, that's good.